Um, I'm going to welcome my friend Mick Rin to come this morning and share with us. Just give him a round of applause. I'm really enjoying having the family Rin actually in, in the house um, because um, we've, we've kind of crisscrossed our paths for decades um, and it's fun that we're now in the same church doing this together. It's a real joy. And uh, they've been such encouragers to Leo and I over the years, and I hope we've been something of an encouragement back. And uh, but we are delighted to be hearing from you. So, thank you. Thank you. Well, we've had so much good stuff this morning, and uh, wow, um, God's ministering to us in powerful ways. And uh, it's just my joy to be able to bring. The word this morning to um, Pete's asked me to start off a new preaching series for us on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so I'm just going to do an introduction this morning and uh, we're going to look at the passage in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we'll just go on to the first line of the prayer, the first verse. My title. I just felt this was an appropriate title once I completed the preparation of the message, is Faith-Filled Relationship. Um, so the Lord's Prayer is most, uh, the, the most widely used prayer across the world still today. Um, it's been translated in over 1,500 different languages. Um, and I'll just give... Just start off by giving you some background uh, context for this before we dive into it. In Luke's version in chapter 11, um, one of the disciples is asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now they're not uh, lacking in any way of uh, knowing how to pray because they've been taught from birth, literally, in the Jewish culture This is how you should pray. Pray this, pray that, pray that. You've got to do this one, do that one. And loads of stuff like that. So that's the context in Luke's uh, uh, version of of this uh, in in chapter 11. But as I say, I'm I'm focusing on on Matthew chapter 6. And in some Bibles, this passage falls under the heading of acts of righteousness. And there's three specific acts of righteousness Um, There's firstly giving, and then fasting, and then praying. So um, what Jesus seems most concerned about in all of these three areas is people who make a public show of these acts of righteousness. Now... um, they had grown up in this context of the religious legalistic teachers drumming them into them how to pray. And there's teacher teaching in their culture that God requires laws uh, to be satisfied before relationship. There's also the Roman civil laws that they had to live by and obey. So it's a very legalistic culture. There's lots of stuff 
Now today um, we have um, civil laws in our societies that are the, uh, mostly for the betterment of us all. And just as a distraction, I want to look at some, some actual laws that are still in place today, some unusual laws. Did you know, for instance, in Arizona, donkeys are not allowed to sleep in bathtubs? In France, it's illegal to name your pig Napoleon. In Canada, boarding a plane whilst it is in flight is illegal. <laughs> in England, now this is a bit of a shocker for the ladies, in, in, in this country, it is forbidden for a lady to eat chocolates whilst on public transport. Quite, quite right, as Alan says, it's quite right. <laughs> Got to control that sort of thing. <clears throat> also in this country, any boy under the age of 10 is not allowed to see a naked shop dummy. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> and perhaps my favourite, um, in York, any Scotsman caught farting on a Sunday can be shot with a bow and arrow. <laughs> Now, these laws are there to protect us all. <laughs> Safe for Scottish people, okay? So, Jesus here contrasts the cultural legalistic approach to God. So, this is so helpful in prayer. As we learn, prayer is not to be a repetitive script. It's a dialogue with God. So let's get into the passage in Matthew chapter 6. From verse 5 in the NIV version. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the, uh, keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that's the extent of my verses I'm covering today. And I just want to put them under three headings. And first heading is the two don't be likes. Second... Jesus' approach to prayer. And then finally, reward. So there don't be likes. And the first don't be like I want to look at is the pagans. Okay, let's not be like the pagans, Jesus says. And why? Because they babble, uh, babble on and on and on and work themselves into a stressful frenzy when they pray. And there are examples in scripture 
Um, in Acts uh, chapter 19, th- verse 34, <clears throat> Acts chapter 19, something's been going on in Ephesus that is very troubling, and it's changing the city. And people know, oh my goodness, there's a change going on. And who is responsible for this change? That annoying individual called Paul, who keeps preaching this gospel. And it's incredibly powerful what he's preaching. And it's setting people free from idolatry. This is the power of the gospel. When, when Jesus is proclaimed with authority and power, and people who are getting all stressed up in their religious observance or the things that they believe in, and they hear the gospel, and the gospel changes their heart, and suddenly all their priorities shift. And they had been uh, in that city, the craftsmen who'd been making the pagan idols are getting themselves into a lather because they've got their stall set up next to the Temple of Artemis and it's, and it's all, they've got all their lovely colourful idols there and all the people who used to come flocking to their stalls have stopped and they all walk past and they even walk past the temple now. And they're thinking, what is going on? So they create a riot in the city. And in Acts 19.34, we're told, they all shout in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Our Artemis is great. And they go on and on and on for two hours about it. Because they think that some sort of power is going to be released and they can stir this mob up to, to string up Paul and these pesky Christians. There's another example of prolonged prayer by pagans and it's in the Old Testament and you remember in the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. I love, I love this uh, passage of Elijah at Mount Carmel. And you'll remember from it in 1 Kings how um, he's there and there's this contest with the prophets of Baal. And there's something like 800 odd prophets of Baal. And he, stand, he's, he kind of challenges them. Okay, your God Baal is so fantastic. Let him, uh, let him drench fire down from heaven and consume the, the offering, consume the altar. Let's see what happens. And so what do the prophets of Baal do in response? It says from early in the morning right up to noon, they're creating a frenzy, calling on Baal. It's going on and on and on and on and on. And then he's getting to the point where uh, you, you see Elijah, and I love Elijah in this, in this role because there's a confidence that only comes from God in Elijah. And uh, it's so much so confidence, he can sit on the rock watching this and start shouting abuse at them. (laughs) Start taunting them and going, shout louder. (laughs) Perhaps he's gone away somewhere on a trip. 
maybe sleeping. God, shout louder. And they shout louder and they get themselves into such a lather. They get swords out and they start kiting themselves to try and get Baal to do something. And there we have Elijah sitting on the sideline, shouting out abuse. Maybe he's on the toilet. <laughs> it's, it's just, to me, I think it's a hilarious account of what's going on. But what's so amazing in it is, is the confidence of Elijah at this point. He loses his confidence later, but at this point, he knows God's going to do something amazing. And the proof of what God did in sending fire down on that altar is still on Mount, Mount Carmel to this day that there's rock that is on Mount Carmel to this day that is only comparative to rock that's been in a nuclear explosion. It's so molten. And archaeologists have found it. What's it doing on Mount Carmel? Well, read my kings, you'll find out. <laughs> so, for the pagans, praying sometimes all night is what's needed to bring results. And this is religion. This is this self-effort. If I, if I give enough self-effort into this, my God's going to hear me and do something. So that's the first don't be like. The second don't be like is, like, is don't be like the hypocrites. And the hypocrites, you've probably heard this before. It's a word that's taken from, uh, from the Greek, hypocrisis. And it, what it means is somebody who's like an actor on a stage who wears different masks to play, a, it might be a, a Greek tragedy or something like that that they're playing, and they're playing several parts, so they wear different masks. So they're hiding behind a mask, and you know it's not really them. That's not, the, that's not who they really are. So, now the Jewish disciples had... Um, seen this kind of thing of in their culture the models of religious piety the pharisees would often be on a street corner praying out loud so people would see them and there are regular prayers that should be prayed at certain times of the day there's the shima and the shima is from deuteronomy 6 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's supposed to be prayed in the morning and in the evening. Um, there's the Amida, which is, consists of 18 or 19 blessings. This uh, prayer is supposed to be prayed three times a day. So you'd see Pharisees in marketplaces, on street corners, praying this stuff aloud. So um, the implication to passers-by is that this is how to be godly. This is how to be acceptable to God. And this is what you less religious Jews ought to also be doing. And of course it's nonsense. It's performance. So around prayer, there's these two great lies in the culture. There's the pagan lie. Babylon and on and on for hours. There's the Jewish lie. Do this in public so as many people can hear about it. So there are these great towers of lies around prayer that is there. And Jesus takes out an axe, 
bang, bang, cuts them down. Just in a few verses, we're so familiar with what's in the Gospels, we're so familiar with the Word, and when you think about what's really behind it, it's incredibly powerful. Now, it's easy for us, even us, to fall into this kind of stuff without even so much as an ounce of love in your heart towards God. Putting a load of self-effort into it, trying to impress other people. He's not saying don't pray in public. He's not saying, you know, don't keep, keep knocking and asking. But he's saying, what's going on? What is this, what is this now become? in your life, your prayer life. Another caution that I want to bring here is formula. We can so easily get into formulaic prayers, can't we? Jesus is, of course, not giving us another formula. He's giving us a pattern. And that is what the Lord's Prayer is about. He's not prescribing a formula. If you pray this way, then you'll get answers. Things will begin to happen. There's a pattern here that begins with the declaration of who our God is. Personal, our Father. And it follows with a rhythm of aspects to include in, in, in our prayer life. Some of you may know that I'm an electrical engineer by trade. And for me, I love formulas. All my training was all about formulas. It's all about, okay, you had A to B and you will always get C. That works for me. I'm really encouraged by formulas. I love it when I, I, I go to a situation and I, and I know like, okay, if this is right and that is right, then the lights will come on. Or this wire is connected to this. That switch is in that position, okay, that, I can follow that through and bump everything will come back on and everything will work perfectly and I'll feel so good about that. <laughs> the problem is when this approach can become disastrous for me if I try and apply it to my relationships, particularly when my wonderful wife comes home from work, she's had a stressful day, she's had a situation that's not gone right, and I'm there listening, and my brain goes into formula solution mode. And I can calculate all the steps that were wrong in her approach <laughs> in that situation. So, what I do, at lightning pace, and I'm quite chuffed with myself at this this moment when I found the solution. I can bring a solution of how she can do better next time. <laughs> any, ladies, any ladies encounter that with your other half when you're, you're giving off a problem and they can tell you in detail, yeah, yeah, well, you know where you went wrong there, love. This is not helpful in a relationship. And I still fall into this trap after nearly 30 years of marriage of trying to find out the solution rather than listening and giving her her encouragement that she actually really needs. 
So, formulas are not great in relationships, and this is what we're about, a relationship. I can remember people uh, getting all caught up about a, a particular wording of the sinner's prayer. And, um, you know, if you've led somebody to Jesus and you think, okay, yeah. And you think about it afterwards. Yeah, I told, I told them about repenting of their sins, yeah. And I, I said, yeah, uh, right, you've got to accept Jesus as your saviour, okay. Right, and pray for the Holy Spirit. Right, uh, something about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah, okay. I think I did that. Um, Oh, I didn't say that they've got to accept him as Lord. I just said Saviour. Oh, no, they're not saved after all, are they? (laughs) (laughs) And we get ourselves all caught up with a formula, a specific way we've got to do things. We can get like this, we're praying for the sick or, you know, in various... Have I taken authority over that? I don't know. Did I? You know, is it... Well, yeah, I think I did. Well, how does Alan do it? I, I follow Alan's lead because he's really good at praying for the sick. So he knows all the words and the right things to say, doesn't he? So sorry to pick on you, Alan. <laughs> We've got to be very careful about this stuff. And, uh, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of Christians, you know, they're kind of very careful about what they say during the day in case they say something negative and it, doesn't, and it, and it undoes the blessings or whatever, you know? And sometimes there's this teaching that can come off, you know, on some Christian TV shows, channels or whatever. And, and, and we have to be very careful that we're not really worried and getting legalistic about how we speak. I, I do believe in speaking positive and speaking faith-filled. But I, I get very concerned when people get into this formulaic approach. Because it's not about formulas. It's relationship. If you're... If I'm always concerned in a loving relationship, I'm doing the right thing and saying the, not saying the wrong thing and all that kind of thing, there has to be room for messing up because we're people who mess up again and again and again. Formulas can make prayer into no more than magic spells. So, there's the don't be likes. Second bit, getting on to the good stuff now, Jesus' approach to prayer. Now, remember the fact that what the, the people he's talking to and he's teaching here have never, ever heard somebody say, right, start your prayer off with my father. I would, I would think this is the first bit that would, <laughs> would make people think, what? What are, you, what are you talking about, our Father? What? Really? Is that, is that the way we're supposed to start off? There's, in this passage we read in Matthew 6, there's four mentions of Father. This is a revolutionary concept to their thinking. They knew about the references to God, and the references to the God, God were, were things like Elohim, which is the supreme one, El Shaddai, the mighty one. God is all those things. And amazingly, we have that privilege to say, My dad. 
But those terms create distance. They create a kind of we're not worthy. How can I come to the mighty one and ask him for a car parking space in the car park at Tesco's when it's packed? <laughs> or something stupid that I just, it would be so good if he just could do that for me. No, I can't really ask the mighty one, the, the supreme one for stuff like that, can I? But I can, my father. They were even fearful in the culture to write his name down or speak it out. So Jesus here is never more the bridge of removing the distance than in these verses. Address him as your dad. And right there we see, ah, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's relationship. It's, it's, I mean, there's hardly a more close relationship than my dad. So getting us in, ourselves into a stressful frenzy, being hypocritical with performance, working out formulas to get to him to work are all wrong. They don't work in relationships. So when my wonderful wife comes home after a heavy, difficult day, she needs to know I love her, that I'm for her. She needs to know that this relationship is built on trust, that she can tell me anything and I won't think any, any less of her and I need to know the same about her towards me. That's how relationships, prospering, healthy, strong relationships work. And that's what Jesus wants for us too. Because he knows that relationship more than anybody else could. And he knows what that relationship can be for us. And often, even as Christians, we may have been Christians for donkey's years, okay? But we still lose that element of our relationship at times. Times get heavy, times get hard, times get stressful and you go to those stages where you think, where is God? What is he doing in this time? Does he really care about me anymore? He does because you're his child. So it's personal. Shut out distractions. Go somewhere quiet and talk to him. That's what Jesus says. So if you get stuck in your prayer life, perhaps your prayer life's got a little bit dry for a while, this is a good place to begin. Just go and say, my father... Declare it. There's those great declarations at the start of this prayer. Our Father declaring his identity. Hallowed be your name. Declaring our worship and how glorious his name is. 
And as your mind begins to take hold of what you're saying and it starts to translate into your heart, worship begins to be the only thing that can bubble up once you start declaring these truths. And your relationship deepens. You hear his voice responding. So if there's somebody, perhaps there was somebody in your life and they've passed on now and you could, um, maybe there was that opportunity to have a coffee and a chat with them. God gave you an hour or whatever to have a moment in time with them again. And perhaps you got a chance to chat to them and update them about your life now, your kids, what's going on in your world. And you could ask them and get answers to all the things that trouble you right now. To maybe even get a hug from them. And for them to say, don't worry, it's all going to work out fine. That would be priceless, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I can think if I was to have just an hour with my mum and just talk about stuff. And that person who has always said, don't worry, it's going to be fine. It'll work out okay. That would be so precious, wouldn't it? So priceless even. Your relationship with God can get that deep as well. Deeper still. It really can. And that's what Jesus wants for you because he had that relationship. He has that relationship and you have that relationship really. <laughs> you do. That's what was intended for you. That's what he went to the cross for that he could bring you out of, I think Martin was singing, out of the mire earlier and put you on that place where you have a communion with him, your father. How privileged are we? And it can be deeper than any relationship you've ever had before or ever will have. So this is Jesus' approach to prayer. I quite like it. <laughs> it's full of faith and it's based on this deep relationship. Thirdly, reward. Um, in verse 6, um, the King James Version, if we have the new King James Version, <clears throat> tells us, um, well, let's just have a look at it. Pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly or publicly. Um, often there's times you, you're in a situation at work or with your friends or whatever and they're getting really stressed out about something that's going on and you kind of shrug and go, yeah, I think it's going to be all right. And and they look perplexed back at you and go, what is it you know? 
what is different about you? Why don't, why don't you get into such a flap like everybody else in this office does or in this situation does? What? I need what you have, <laughs> comes back in response sometimes. Anybody had that? Yeah? I'm the only one, am I, in the room? <laughs> Must be my relationship is so much deeper. No, no. God gives us this confidence sometimes. When we put things in his hands, often I'll walk away and kind of, if I think about what I prayed in the morning, I can, I can sometimes forget about it, you know? Sometimes it's like, what did I pray about again? Because <laughs> it's in his hands. And he's taking care of business. And it's good. This is what I like to think of Jesus is talking about. People notice something about you. And there's a reward there. There's something in your persona that people see. But there's also other rewards. So there's answer to prayer coming. So he's rewarding you as you're quietly praying in your prayer room. Things in your life falling into place. And he's rewarding you and rewarding you. He's rewarding you in the people groups that you're in and around. He's showing who he is and he's being glorified through you. And how you handle difficult situations and how you handle things that everybody else is getting into a frenzy about. He's rewarding you. But by far the greatest reward is that you know God intimately. And he knows you intimately and he will never love you any less. He knows you warts and all, but he'll never love you any less. How glorious is that? So, <clears throat> I like that what uh, the Apostle Paul says about this in Philippians. And I'm just going to close out here with this passage. And it's one of my go-to passages. I've probably, out of all the sermons I've preached, this one has probably cropped up in <laughs> almost every sermon because I love it so much. Um, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 in the message. And in the context of this passage, the Apostle Paul is countering a lot of religious people uh, that have infiltrated the Philippian church. And they're going on about all their credentials. And the Apostle Paul, um, he knows about religious credentials. He's got a whole list of his own. And he lists out some of his credentials just prior to this passage in verse in verse 7 he goes the very credential that these people are waving around as something special I'm tearing up and throwing out of the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for and why? because of Christ yes all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my saviour. First hand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung. 
I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. That's a magnificent statement, isn't it? And this is what we have. (laughs) This is what we have, brothers and sisters. This is what we live in the benefit of. So, if you've struggled a while in prayer for, for a time or you want to get back to that fervent prayer or maybe you've, your prayer life has never been that fervent, it takes a bit of investment to invest in faith-filled relationship. This is what Jesus is talking about. Invest in, your, in, a, in a relationship and Declare in faith who he is again. Declare your worship for him. So this week, maybe take some time to go to your quiet place and shut the door, declare his identity, and find out what adventure he wants to take you on. And this prayer is a great launch pad for an adventure. Okay, I'm just going to close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus and the revolutionary he was and is. He's still revolutionizing our lives. Thank you so much, Jesus, for teaching us your powerful ways and being in our lives doing magnificent things. And I pray, Father God, for every individual in the house today, pray, Father God, that you would bless them with a faith-filled, powerful relationship that sees amazing fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Mick. That was awesome. Wonderful. Okay, um, we are out of time. If you came with children, please go and collect them. Um, They're that way, I think, the youngers. Um, We have got a prayer meeting on Tuesday evening here, 8 o'clock. So please come and join us. Uh, We'd love to encounter God together. Lots for us to pray for and through. So uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Wonderful. All right. Have a blessed week. We'll see you Tuesday.